Hello, I am Sarah Ruffi, the Woman Warrior Lawyer, and tonight my guest is Carla Lotholtz. Carla, how about if you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. So first, thanks for having me, Sarah. Absolutely. <laughs> Carla Lotholtz, I, um, I am uh, with the Community Foundation, and uh, I am a um, Director of Donor Services and just a, a, a lifelong resident uh, of the Wasa area. So what does the director of, I'm director of services. And I, I know you go out and talk to people and you get them to come into the foundation. Tell me more about that. You know, this position really is, um, to be able to work with the donors that we currently have that have already aligned with our organization, as well as working with financial advisors, state planning attorneys, and others that have clients that are interested in working with the foundation, giving funds to us so that we can then in turn um, help them invest those back into the community and provide support for a lot of nonprofits that are doing amazing work. So we're really a vehicle to help them carry out wishes. And quite honestly, I think I have the best job in the world. It's fun. It's like Christmas. It's like Christmas every day, isn't it? <laughs> it is for me. <laughs> and working with donors like that, I mean, I'm able to help them carry out the wishes that, that they have and still provide support for a lot of organizations that, that need it um, and do great things that make this a great place to, to live, honestly. So when you're working with donors, I know we were chatting before we started and one of the things that you started doing, probably with me in the back of your head, is... Oh, no, it wouldn't be anything. All of your no. stuff is in the back of my head. <laughs> it definitely is. But yes? You talked about meeting people where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you've just developed recently or something that you've kind of inherently had over the years? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think that the community foundation has always been here. People know us. They trust us. They well, at least for the us. last 30 years or so. Exactly. The idea of meeting people where they're at, I, I think we've done that, but I think now being more aware of it and being mindful of it, for example, being able to meet with somebody outside of an office, meet them at their home, to meet them outdoors, uh, Going into their environment with their permission becomes a totally different conversation. There's a lot of trust and respect that has to take place there. And the the meeting or the conversation takes on a whole different look and feel. And I would say that it's probably my comfort level with that because I just love people and I love being able to have the conversation with them. And I think you can kind of just tell the, the level of, of trust and respect that kind of changes. And, and all of a sudden you're just having a great conversation and learning so much more about the person. I would think that that experience when you meet them on their ground, on their territory, mm -hmm. takes the edge off for them as well. Because when I do estate plans, people usually don't like to talk about the fact that their time in this life is temporary. Right, right. And most people don't like to talk about their own demise. Right. And and what happens when I'm no longer here. Right. So when you meet them outside, 
in their living room. There's a lot of trust there, but I would think that the the walls come down faster. They definitely do. And you're right, because in in my world, much like with yours, um, having the conversation about, you know, when your life is coming to a close is kind of a tough conversation to have, but it can also be a beautiful conversation. And I think that what happens is when you meet somebody on their turf or in their home or on their land, they really are able to kind of just look around and really think more about a legacy. I think that's what happens. Uh, they start thinking about uh, how they're going to carry on those wishes and what is it going to look like? So I think it becomes a, a, a happier conversation, even though you have, you're talking about something very difficult. And I think um, they are uh, probably more at ease if somebody is standing on their property and they're looking at their home and the water and the trees that they've maybe cultivated and built up over years. And now they're telling you the story about how they got there. That's a gift to be able to hear that. That is a gift. It's a wonderful gift. And so I get to hear those stories and I, and I respect the fact that they're, they're sharing that with me, but that also helps me understand how we can better help them. How do we then carry that legacy on? So it's really kind of a back and forth, but um, it's it's much more effective, obviously, being out there with them. And, and I absolutely love being able to do that. So what are some of the most interesting experiences you've had <laughs> meeting with clients where they're at? Well, I think probably the best example I would have of that would be snowshoeing. So those people that know me, even if you don't know me, uh, I, I went snowshoeing when I was about 10 and, um, I had a donor that I was working with and, and they had asked if I snowshoe and I said, yes, but I didn't share the fact that I was 10 and I'm, that was all many, many years was- ago. <laughs> significantly a few years ago. (laughs) So we ended up doing that. And here's what happened. We went out snowshoeing on this property. And during that time, not only did I get some great exercise, I was able to hear the story. I was able to hear the story from this donor and, um, and experience and feel and take it in with my eyes and everything else that I would not have otherwise had the opportunity to have if we were in a conference room or anywhere else. And it really moved me. Uh, and it made me realize that this person really was, was bringing me into their world. Um, that is something that will continue. That one was a lot of fun because I did make it snowshoeing and uh, I did pretty well. And until I saw some of the, the prints in the, in the uh, snow that looked like very large animals. So I, I did well until then. So, uh, did my best. I think more things like that need to happen. Those are beautiful things. And is that something that's new in light of the pandemic and things being shut down? Or is that something that you had done even prior to March of 2020? You know, I would say it's a little bit of both. I think that uh, myself uh, and our organization is trying to be very mindful of COVID. But uh, at the same time, um, it's probably my style. 
you know, we have a lot of people that come to us and meet with us, but I really like going there. So I think I'm bringing that spin. Uh, I think it's more comfortable for people, saves them time. Um, if they're going to welcome, you know, me to be a part of uh, coming to where they're at. Um, I think I'm bringing a spin of that. Um, and especially when you think about the role that I have being a, a director of donor services, that's a, that's a, that's a people person, right? So, well, gee, and that just doesn't describe, you know, does it? I know I'm really, I'm <laughs> in the wrong position, right? You know, I think that it's, uh, it's really the, the comfort level that I have. And I think becoming even more, uh, more real and more accessible to a lot more people and, um, making it convenient for them. It's, it's fun, fun being able to do that. Now, if I recall correctly, <laughs> the, you're like, oh crap, where is this going? Where is this going? I know, cringe. The director of donor services was created specifically for you. Is that right? Well, I, I think that you're giving me a lot of credit. This was a new position that was created. Um, and I think that um, I would just say that I think it's a really good fit. That's what I would say. It was a new position that was created and um, I was just fortunate enough to be able to be the person they hired for this position. How's Boy, that now for an you answer? Sound modest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it it is a it was a new position uh, that they did create, and the reality was to you know focus more on that, make sure that the people that we're working with are getting the the best experience that they can, that we're taking good care. We never take any of those donors for granted. Um, and also working with new people, um, that that's going to require having somebody, um, dedicated to that. That's why I said, this doesn't, doesn't seem like a job to me. This is really kind of, you know, over the years where I think I have evolved after spending so many years, you know, working in the nonprofit sector and, and understanding nonprofit organizations and communities and volunteering to kind of put that all in the suitcase and, and kind of move that along to the position that I'm in now just seems like I've evolved um, personally and professionally. So it's, it's Isn't wonderful. that the way life's supposed to be? I think so. I'm just figuring it out, but I think it's, I think it's working out okay. I think so too. <laughs> so as a foundation mm -hmm. and donors, so some people make their donation during their lifetime Others make it after after they pass. How do you find the relationship you have with the donors? Does that help after they're gone and you're dealing with their kids? Yeah. You know, thanks for asking that because the more that we can understand that entire, the family and all of those pieces who that person was, what they loved, what they cared about. Um, I think that we become, again, a vehicle for not only the um, funds and everything that they want to be able to do to carry out the wishes, but I think we're able to really personalize it and we're, we're able to be a part of the maybe the healing process too. It isn't that they're having to be so sad that someone has moved on. The fact is that we're able to be there and help carry out the wishes and make sure that their legacy carries on um, for years to come. 
And that too is a gift to be able to do that. But the more we know about the individual and the more that the uh, other generations are involved in these discussions and in the planning, it becomes a completely different ball game. And I think it's much more comforting for everybody involved and, and clarity as well. Well, I would think that when you, when you're invited in to donors worlds, mm-hmm. like your snowshoeing incident, situation or it was an up, incident it could have been well, an incident because yeah it's true too <laughs> slip of the tongue thanks for catching that by the way um but when you're invited into their world into their homes onto their land and really understanding and internalizing what was important to them mm-hmm. by them sharing that i can see where that helps the healing process with the next generation, do you also find that that helps reduce any potential barriers when that next generation starts working with you because mom or dad are gone? I I think that it definitely helps um, with that next generation because a lot of the wishes um, were already outlined. They were very clear, um, you know, in advance. Uh, I think that the next generation is able to really um, focus on the fact that they're doing what the parents wanted them to do. So it takes some pressure off. They're already dealing with sadness or grief or other things. They don't have to worry about what should or shouldn't I be doing. Instead, a lot of that is already laid out and uh, they can just put kind of the the finishing touches on it. We many times will have them um, bring a photo and we'll do different things where we, you know, we, we have them talk about the person too. So it's, it's kind of a bit of a journey together, but they also, I think, uh, feel like we knew the parent and that seems like you're, you're almost with a, with a good friend then. And that's really what we want them to feel like. Um, it doesn't, uh, the barriers really do go away at that point. There aren't difficult decisions to make. It's more about being able to just help them carry it out. Um, and it becomes more of a healing conversation, um, I think. And uh, we get to even know. And many times sitting there with, as I'm sure you have as well, where you're looking at those next generations and, and you're talking with them, um, they're sharing stories, we're sharing stories, what we knew. And that's a beautiful thing as well, as we're kind of going back and forth. That's part of the healing process. That's well, so part of the part. healing process and the relationship building mm-hmm. And that you already have a built-in commonality. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And those and the generations, too, are also looking at it many times if they haven't already. They are following and leading, you know, their parents were leading by example. So many times um, they are establishing a fund of some sort or thinking, I need to carry out like, like our parents did. So if they haven't already, they're thinking about doing that as well because they're always thinking about, am I going to be okay? And are my kids going to be okay? So hopefully we can do that for them as well and continue that on for future generations. That's really what matters. So let's shift a little bit. And you talked about your, the years that you spent in non other nonprofits and yeah. packing up all of the skills that you acquired into your suitcase <laughs> and take them to the community foundation. What other nonprofits had you worked with yeah, and what I, was your role? Really, really fortunate. Uh, 
I started my career working for the American Cancer Society as a fundraiser. Because, um, of course, you're not a people person. No, I was pretty shy even then. And <laughs> but I, I really didn't know how to raise money. Uh, but I figured it out pretty quickly. Uh, the organization had a great mission. I was able to uh, get used to a lot of the people here in, in the community. And that's where I started my path. And... Um, my grandma had passed away of colon cancer at the age of 56. So mm-hmm. I, I really felt like I had a purpose, um, started my journey there. And, um, that was a, a wonderful experience. I did learn how to be a fundraiser and I, I, I really had the, the mission close to my heart because, uh, my grandma was, was my purpose. Um, I was able to move on and then work for, the United Way here in Marathon County. I was the campaign director here. So um, again, still working at that point though, working with a lot of local businesses and um, coordinating volunteers and um, trying to raise the funds and got a real awareness of all of the nonprofits here in the community, what they were doing. Um, and that, that was eye opening, the need and the demand so it really empowered me to continue to help work with volunteers to raise the funds to make sure that those nonprofits were getting what they needed, um, at least from us, to keep doing the great work they were doing. While I worked at United Way, uh, my Uncle Scott died of a massive heart attack at the age of 49. Oh, my. And I, at that point, made the decision that I was going to make a career change. And I went to work for the American Heart Association. And that is where I spent um, 13 years and uh, just gave my heart and soul to the organization. Um, And never, every day I think about him. And uh, that was a great opportunity not only to do what I I love doing, but I also moved up in the organization. At the end, I was a regional vice president. I always lived here and I was blessed I had the best team of staff you could ever ask for, and they worked hard, and we raised a lot of money to help a lot of other people uh, that were either um, experiencing heart and stroke or lost people because of heart and stroke, and I think they were dynamic because they really cared. They believed in the mission, and many of them had been touched in some way, shape, or form. You weren't just doing the job. You were doing you were doing this because you could help somebody else, and uh, so that was uh, thirteen years and two and a half years ago. I came to the community foundation, and that's where I really planned to make my final stop in my career. So brought my suitcase right along, and <laughs> what I you know if everything ended tomorrow for me, what a great journey I've had, what an opportunity it's been to have this kind of a career path and all the people that have been a part of this and have, I I feel like I've received so much more from all the volunteers and sponsors and staff that I could, that I even have given to them. I feel like I have so much more to give them. I'm really, really um, thankful, almost moved to tears because I'm so thankful. Um, I've had a great career. Gratitude is a powerful thing. Yeah. It sure is. It's been fun. So it sounds like with your your career choices and the mm-hmm. steps along the way, or the stops along the way, if you will, with your suitcase, <laughs> that 
you followed a why to each position. I did. Mm -hmm. I did. I think the path, uh, you know, when I first started, I wasn't sure what that first job was, but I figured it out. But it, there was a, there was always a person in my mind. And, you know, you work in a nonprofit arena, that is tough work. It's tough work. Those people work long, hard hours, but you have to have a why. Um, it isn't, uh, you know, you can raise a lot of funds for wonderful things, but it's, it's not leading with the money. It's leading with the mission. It, you know, it's seeing the faces. Uh, over the years, all of the people, you know, kids and, and adults and all the people that I've that I've seen along the path that I can think, well, we made a difference in their life or we made a difference in their family's lives. And the team of staff that I used to have, it mattered. It really mattered. Um, there's always a why. And to me, there's always a face. And that, that's that been a big part of it. I'd be remiss, you know, I hope I could cover it without tears. But, you know, during that journey at the American Heart Association, you know, when I was there, it was because I had lost my uncle. But during the time that I was there, my mom also had um, a heart attack um, while out of state. And it was very extreme. Uh, she should not have survived that. As a matter of fact, she, she coded um, during that surgery. So my mom survived and we got a second chance. So uh, my whys are very, very big. And so now I have a second chance. So life looks very different to me. You know, I take every every day as a gift. And I'm so thankful for those second chances. And I, I hope other people think about that. Life can get busy and, and you're moving quickly. But you, you really have to stop and, and hopefully appreciate those pressures. You were talking, we were talking about how each of your positions along your path have had a very strong why. Right. When we were on our break, we were talking about purpose. Right. Do you feel like you're living your life purpose? I do. I definitely do. I think that I'm, maybe I didn't always realize that, but I definitely do now. And it's probably because I'm a little more present. Uh, I, I've, as I look at my career, and I think about uh, personally the journey and my family and all the pieces. I definitely am living my purpose. Um, and I'm quite appreciative for the opportunity. It's been a fun ride. When did you figure out what your purpose was? You know, I, I think that I think that along the way, especially being in the, the nonprofit sector, especially at I think the most important part was when I was at the American Heart Association because at that time I was doing the work that I loved to be able to do uh, professionally, but the things that were happening personally crossed into that world so deeply where your world shakes, where your foundation shakes, where, you know, when you when I reference the fact about my mom and her, her heart attack, that is when I really realized how important the work was that we were doing and um, 
how important it was for me to really be present and stay close and keep the people closest to me that mattered the most. And it caused me to slow down a little bit and be a little more present. And and I felt like that's when you realize your purpose. Um, it just hit me. And after that or since that time, have you made a, a conscious effort of being more present on a regular basis? I have. I have. And I think you have to really take the time to pause and reflect a little bit. And I did that after things were happening, um, especially with my mom. When I realized that she was going to live and I had that second chance, it's when I realized that I definitely was doing the right work because I think the work that we were doing ultimately helped save her life, the science, everything else. That was a wonderful feeling. But I also realized that I needed to maybe get a little bit closer to home, which is why I ended up here at the Community Foundation because I wanted to be back in my community and I wanted to be very close to my family because I knew I could still make a very large impact some way, shape, or form. And I could be very close to my family in case anything would happen. I would never be too far away. I could get there in time and I could help. Um, that was peace of mind for me. And I think it's allowed me to be much more present with my family. The conversations are different. I'm not going as fast as I was before and I'm not trying to climb some ladder. I'm pretty okay with where I am. And I think my family's happier with that. They just kind of look around and say, what's going to matter in the end? Who's going to be standing there with me? It's not going to be about your titles, you know, or your position. Those are great. They don't define who you are, you know. Um, the greatest gift is to have, you know, um, to know that you're a good mom and that you that you, you know, that you have strong, I have a strong son that, that um, is, is the, one of the things I'm most proud of. And I've got a second chance at my mom being alive. I've got to take advantage of those things. So how do you define yourself? You opened, you walked right into yeah. that one. It was great. Yeah, great that's good. Yeah, good face. one. You know, I don't know for sure how, how I'd answer that. You know, I think that, think that I'm a very I, I think that I'm I'm very driven but I also I care a lot I mean a very caring person um, I'm committed to how we want to you know to what I need to be able to do um, I'm a straight shooter I think you know with me <laughs> and I laugh and I say this what you see is what you get. Probably why we got along right off the bat. It probably <laughs> is. You know, I I hope that people when they, you know, when they look on the outside and they look at my eyes and, and they hear excitement in my voice or the passion and the drive and what I want to be able to do to help them or help others. Um, that is who I am. You know, I'm not perfect. I can be a pistol. I can, you know. Isn't that part of being perfect? Part of it. Uh, 
But I, I think at the end of the day, uh, I'll give you everything I've got. Um, just don't underestimate me and don't do anything bad to my kid. <laughs> That's what I'd say. And you got the mama bear. <laughs> you got a mama bear, all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll pretty passionate. Passionate would probably be it. So when you were a child, did you? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, that's an interesting story. I wanted to be a police officer for as long as I could remember. I always wanted to be a police officer. And I actually went to school to be a police officer. I ended up uh, going to the tech for two years. I got a police science degree, and I ended up for two more years. I have a criminal justice degree, and I work a nonprofit. Um, I think that the thought of being in police work I have a real, and I still do, a very strong sense of right and wrong. I mean, pretty grounded, and I'm, I, I, I care a lot about that, rules and, and things like that. So I think that was just very much from being a kid. I was just very intrigued by everything. And I had the opportunity, and I'm thankful, and I hope other kids do as well to, um, you know, intern. And, I mean, I was a... I was 18 years old with hair as big as this as the first female intern with the Watson Police Department. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I mean, now I think back and I laugh. And at that time, D.A.R.E. was really popular, the drug abuse resistance education. And for some reason, I thought, you know, I was just going to walk in there for my internship and wow everybody. And I think I thought they were just going to hire me to be the D.A.R.E. officer not realizing there were plenty of people who had been working there for a long time. So great internship um, and an opportunity to realize it's a little bit scarier field than maybe what I was set out to be in. So I always wanted to be a police officer. So now I say I always wanted to work with people. It's just on a little different arena. <laughs> well, and you can still have that very strong sense of right or wrong, mm -hmm. even – along the path that you've chosen, mm -hmm. you know, because there are right ways to do things and there are wrong ways to do things. Right. And I know you had commented earlier when you worked for the United Way, mm -hmm. how your eyes were opened. Mm -hmm. Did that awakening, if you will, does that relate back to your strong sense of right and wrong and what was happening in the community? I, I think, you know, that's a great point because I think you're right. I don't know that I realized it. I mean, kind of looking now and reflecting back, the tremendous amount of need um, and uh, my sense of right and wrong or justice or fairness or um, compassion and where those things would fit along the journey uh, I think I had the opportunity to see more of that when I worked at United Way because the idea was being very familiar with what was happening with a lot of these nonprofits that do, like I said, amazing work. But to be the person who was trying to work with donors and, and volunteers to raise the funds so we could continue that, it mattered. And, and I had a real sense of making a difference, helping somebody else, uh, making life a little bit better. You know, when you think about things where, you know, people that are going without food, um, you know, people that don't have somewhere to sleep. I mean, there were things that really would bother me. And uh, I guess that just drove me that much harder to be able to do what we need to do. Again, what's the why? 
in the position that you have. Mm-hmm. It's not about how much money you're going to raise. It's it's about how many people are you going to touch and what kind of an impact. And and I'm at a point now where, you know, what is the legacy that you will leave because of that? That's what really matters. Did you make a difference? I would like to think, especially now with my little suitcase toolkit over here that I, you know, where I am at the foundation, that I could make a lasting impact here that will help people for generations, that I could leave a bit of a mark, um, not with, you know, um, my my great sense of humor or my um, creative cooking skills <laughs> or, or anything wit. else, <laughs> my wit, uh, it would be, did I make an impact? And did it help somebody else? Because that really is what motivates me. And it is not only with organizations, other nonprofits, but with people. I think that's a corner I'm turning now. When you have the opportunity to manage people over time, I don't right now, but I did. Being able to invest in them and help them grow, that's pretty powerful stuff. That you could have that impact on somebody and make a difference in their lives. Just like you do with me. Oh, shucks. You make a difference in somebody's life. Thank you. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. So making a difference in like the teams that you've led at the different organizations, did you consciously think about your role as a mentor in those organizations? Not originally. I'll tell you what. I moved into a management role um, because I had I was successful at what I was doing and how I was doing things with volunteers and sponsors and raising funds to fund the mission, but I was not a good manager. As a matter of fact, I think I was a, a poor manager, to be blunt. And it takes some courage to say that, but it's true. What I had to realize was that um, it wasn't about what I was trying to do. It had to shift to looking at people that were working for the organization that were doing very much what I had been doing at the beginning and really putting myself in their shoes and being very, very real. I was very guarded. I didn't want to share, you know, if I was struggling or anything. I was the manager. I was in charge. (laughs) Well, wake up. You know, you can do that for a little bit. But I woke up and I'm like, going at this all wrong, Carla. These people need to know you're real. They need to know that you're a mom, that you're, you know, that you're balancing things just like they are. You're having a bad day, and that's where the whole game shifted. Was there a certain event that triggered that aha moment for you? I think the, you know, I don't know if there was a certain event, but I think that when you all of a sudden get to a point where, you know, maybe you're turning over staff, people are leaving, um, and you're having to hire people and train people, and all of a sudden you stop and you think it's everybody else, and all of a sudden you're like, You need to it's look in me. the mirror. Look at me. Yeah. That's when I think it hit me, and I thought, I'm doing this all wrong. That was the aha moment. And that's when I stopped and thought, Put yourself in their shoes. You started in the field. Treat them the way they, you know, treat people the way that you want to be treated. But also, I knew what, you know, my. My team, they were, it was Team Blue. That's what they were. And um, that's what I did with them. And boy, I mean, they came through. They not only did their jobs and they did well because every one of them knew what their why was. 
and what their purpose was. And they were passionate. I just had the pleasure of being able to lead them. And that, that was a, that's when everything changed. You know, we were just a pretty dynamic team and we were all arm's length. It wasn't about a leader. It was, it was giving them the power to do what they, they needed to do and respecting them, giving them the, the ability to do it and know that you had their back. I used to say to them, there's nothing you're going to do that I can't help fix. And I meant it. Well, that's because there's nothing that can't be fixed or can't be repaired as long as we're still here. Right. Right. And it's not a failure. It's a learning opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. And I think they really felt that and believed that. I, you know, there's a, they were just, it was, it was great. So I think in that, in that moment, um, that's when things really changed. And it got to a point where they, I, I was empowering them to do different things. I mean, I used to joke about it. It's okay to say. I mean, I would get ready to go on a vacation, and I would have things, you know, delegating was another thing. I wasn't good at it. And, boy, you figure that out in life gets real pleasant <laughs> real fast. But it, that's a learning curve. Oh, wait. That was a chapter in my book I think you read. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> good chapter. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. You figure that out. You empower people. I would go on vacation, and I'll tell you what. They ran that. I mean, I want to admit it. I did. It ran smoother when I was gone. And that's because they were so good at it. And I trusted them. Well, they did it. That's also the sign of a good leader is that you empower your team and you trust your team to do what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. So the, the true sign that you did your job well is that you don't need to be there like a hawk. That the place needs to operate. And, you know, the other thing is you kind of have to get over yourself and, and be thinking about who's following you. I got to, and that was the next point I got to, was looking at who's, who's following me, who's, who's coming in my shoes, and to be okay with that. I think there are a lot of people that, that you know, haven't hit that moment. It's like, don't be fearful of that. That's You're an sure. age thing. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is an age thing. And you have to get over it. Really be thinking about who's following you. Got to have a, got to have a plan. Want to keep growing and, um, and be looking at them, give them the opportunity to grow. And sometimes, you know, there isn't always a, a maybe there's not another position for somebody to, to, to go right into, but keep giving them the tools, keep giving them the stuff so that they can keep grooming them and prepare them so that they are ready to go when there is that opportunity. I've been lucky to have mentors in my life that believed in me. They believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. It's amazing what can happen when you have that. So with all of the the mentoring and the experience that you've had along the way, if you could go back and have a conversation with your 20-year-old self, hmm. what would you tell her? Hmm. I think I would, I honestly think I would, I tell myself to relax a little bit, have fun, enjoy the journey. Because I, I think there were a lot of times where I was so hard on myself. And I, I probably should have relaxed a little bit. Taking more. a breath? Take a breath. I was intense. I can't imagine. I know. I know it's hard to imagine. <laughs> it's really hard. 
<laughs> I I think I was a little intense, always very driven, and I think that came from very little on. You know, I was always very focused and and driven and always trying to do my very best. Sometimes you have to cut yourself some slack. I would probably say relax a little bit. Give yourself a pat on the back here. Just, just relax. It's going to be okay. I think that's great advice. Thank you.